Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ to Faith, Truth, and Church this morning. My name is John, and I'm one of the lay worship leaders here at Faith, and it is an honor and privilege to be sharing God's Word with you today. If you've got your Bible with you, I'll invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, as that will be the focus of our message this morning. Before we get started on our message, I wanted to let you know that today is what is known as Christ the King Sunday on the church calendar. Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday of the church year, which also happens to be the last Sunday prior to the season of Advent, when we begin making preparations in anticipation of the birth of Jesus. The celebration of Christ the King is actually relatively new in the life of the church. It was originally instituted back in 1925 by Pope Pius VI in an attempt to combat a rise of secularism that had many Christians doubting Christ's authority and even, in some cases, his very existence. The world witnessed the rise of a number of dictatorships in Europe during this time and saw many Christians taken in by these earthly leaders. Pope Pius hoped that by instituting an annual celebration of Christ the King, that that would help make all the nations see that the church should be free from government control, and that all the leaders of these nations should see that they are bound to give their respect to Jesus Christ. He also wanted to help allow all Christians to gain strength and courage from the celebration by reminding them that Christ must reign in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and in our bodies. Today, it's easy to see that secularism has only grown stronger than it was in 1925. A quick glimpse of the news or social media makes it obvious that there is an extreme distrust of any kind of authority. And individualism has been embraced in our society to the point that, for many, the only authority in their lives is their own individual self. So the need to embrace Jesus Christ as our King is as great as it has ever been. But what does it really mean to acknowledge Jesus as our King? Do we honestly trust him to be the ruler of our life? What does he ask of us in return? I've been a Lutheran Christian my entire life, so today marks the 53rd Christ the King Sunday that I've celebrated. I've had a lot of practice during those years proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all and Jesus is my King. But I'm here to tell you that I've still got a lot to learn about what it means to really submit to Christ's authority. Today we're going to discuss what it really does mean to be subjects of Christ the King. But before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, may the words I speak and the meditations on all of our hearts be true to your word and bring honor and glory to you, and help us develop a greater understanding of you and your will for our lives. Amen. About a month ago, we completed a sermon series at Faith called The Sovereignty of God, based on the book of Ruth. The overarching theme of the series is that God is always in control, even when it feels like everything may be completely falling apart in our lives and the world around us. 
One of the things I really appreciate about the book of Ruth is that it clearly demonstrates how God was present in the lives of ordinary people and had a purpose and plan for their lives, even in the midst of their pain and suffering. There are no burning bushes, no seas parting, no walls falling down, none of that. No miracles like we see in so many other stories in the Bible. There aren't even any reassurances from God to these biblical characters as the events of the book unfold. We simply see their love for each other as they persevere during hardships. And then we see at the very end that God was in control of things from the very beginning. For those of you who aren't familiar with the book of Ruth, I strongly encourage you to read it. It's a short book, but here are the cliff notes. Ruth tells the story of a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, who flee a drought in Bethlehem with their two sons to go into the pagan nation of Moab. Over time, the two sons eventually marry pagan women named Orpah and Ruth. As more time passes, Elimelech and the two sons die, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth as widows. Naomi returns to her people in Bethlehem, and Ruth accompanies her, even though it means leaving her people and all that she's ever known, including her pagan god, back in Moab. After they've returned to Bethlehem, Ruth meets a man named Boaz. They marry, and they have a son named Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. So through this unlikely and sometimes heartbreaking series of events, a pagan woman actually becomes the great-grandmother of King David and an ancestor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us? Well, I believe if we reflect back on our lives, each of us has a Ruth-like story, or possibly even several of them, where we can see God's grace and provision even in the midst of uncertainty or difficult circumstances. We might not always feel God's presence in the moment, but after the dust settles, sometimes even months or years later, we look back and see that if X bad thing hadn't have happened, then Y wonderful thing wouldn't have happened either. These stories remind us that God is at work in the world and wants to use us to fulfill his purposes if we will only trust him and allow him to take control of our lives. So assuming we do choose to trust Jesus to be our Lord and King, what does he expect of us in return? Today's reading is going to give us a little better understanding of that very question. So please now take a moment and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start this morning at verse 31 and read through verse 36. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, 
take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for me, the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Here ends our reading. So what do we take away from this scripture reading this morning? Well, one of the things that we take away from it is that we will all face God's judgment someday. As Christians, this isn't something we like to talk about or even think about very often. Actually, we love to think about heaven, but it makes us very uncomfortable to talk about the alternative, to talk about hell. And most Americans, including many Christians, hold unbiblical views on hell and sin and salvation. When we do consider final judgment, we often think of it as something that applies to someone else, namely the obviously bad people out there in the world who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Some Christians even go so far as to wield the concept of final judgment like a club, trying to convert people to Christianity. Regardless of how we treat final judgment, we take comfort in the belief that we have some sort of backstage pass that allows us to skip the line and walk right into heaven. But we need to notice that in our scripture reading this morning, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. He's not separating the sheep from the wolves. The sheep are those who are true born-again believers in Jesus Christ. The goats are those who claim to be saved, but are not. Remember that they too, the goats, referred to Jesus as Lord. Wolves, on the other hand, represent those who openly oppose Jesus, and they aren't even mentioned in this reading this morning. So the judgment we just read about today applies to everyone, all of us, who call themselves a Christian.
Now, it's hard to imagine that people who profess to love and be saved by Jesus might not get to spend eternity with him. But the world is full of people who identify as Christian, but really have no idea who Jesus is. They are goats acting like sheep. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 states that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this brings us to the next takeaway from this morning's reading. And that is that our judgment will be based on our relationship with God. But that can often include, and usually does include, what we have done for God in return. Now let me be clear about this right away and say right off the bat that we can't earn our way into heaven. Nothing we can do or say will make us worthy of God's kingdom. Only the love and grace God showed to us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross will ultimately allow us to spend our eternity in paradise. But Jesus is telling us that the mark of an authentic Christian is not their beliefs or the strength of their faith or their knowledge of the Bible. Those things are all very important to be sure, but the mark of an authentic Christian is how those things transform us into people who show Christ's love to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. If an unrighteous person truly comes to Christ for salvation, he's miraculously transformed from an unrighteous person to a child of God. So from that moment forward, he behaves like a child of God. The goat has literally been transformed into a sheep, and the goat is no more. Now, this may not be visibly evident in someone who receives salvation from Jesus during their last moments on earth. Those people may or may not have the opportunity to show Christ's love to others. But for those of us who walk this earth as truly saved followers of Christ, the practical demonstration of his love the concern we show to those who are in need is the final proof that we have truly changed. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish inventor, chemist, and businessman who lived during the 1800s. He considered himself to be a pacifist, and yet he was devoted to the study of explosives. During his lifetime, he held over 350 patents and invented the detonator the blasting cap, new ways for preparing gunpowder, and most famously of all of his inventions, dynamite. His family company was a military weapons and equipment manufacturer, which is how he made the bulk of his fortune. Pacifist indeed. In 19, or I'm sorry, 1888 rather, Alfred's brother Ludwig passed away and a French newspaper mistakenly published Alfred's obituary instead of his brother's. The obituary was titled, The Merchant of Death is Dead, and went on to say that Nobel became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than had ever existed before. Nobel was shocked to see himself as the world saw him, based on his actions instead of his beliefs. 
And this ultimately led him to dedicate his fortune to establish the Nobel Prizes. One of these prizes, the Nobel Peace Prize, is awarded to those who have done the most to advance the cause of world peace. Like Alfred Nobel, we too will be judged by what we do rather than what we say. Not because our actions alone make us worthy of our salvation, but because they reveal our true selves and the true nature of our relationship with God. Unlike Alfred Nobel, when it comes time for us to be judged, there will be no second chances. We are in the presence of Jesus, our judge and our king. And in that moment, there will be no ambiguity, no second guessing, no switching sides. In today's reading, Jesus doesn't ask anyone to present their case or argue their cause. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't request any evidence or testimony. He simply renders his verdict. And he says to the righteous, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. To the others, he says, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then he explains the foundation and the basis for his ruling. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, of mine you did for me. And whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So it's really that simple. The love and kindness we show to others demonstrates the spirit of Christ living within us. And a lack of love and kindness to others shows that Christ is not really living in us. So if we're ready to recognize Jesus as our King, we need to ask ourselves two questions. The first is how are we spending our time? And the second is how are we spending our money? It takes both time and money to provide for the hungry and the thirsty, to show hospitality to a stranger, clothe the poor, care for the sick, and visit the imprisoned. We are all blessed in different ways and to varying degrees when it comes to time and talent and money. So the ways we serve and the amounts we give will not be the same. But we all need to ask ourselves if we are truly giving and serving sacrificially. Are we giving only what is left over from our abundance after we have spent things on what we want and what we need? Or do we also give of our time and our money when it truly costs us? Remember that it's not just about the act of giving or serving. It's about what's in our heart. There are a lot of goats out there that actually do good work. They just do them for an earthly reward. And Matthew chapter 6 verse 2 says that they have in fact received their reward in full. Some of the critics of Alfred Nobel questioned his motives in establishing his prizes, suggesting that they were only created to improve his reputation. Now that doesn't negate the positive impact of these prizes, but only God really knows if Alfred Nobel is actually a sheep or a goat. Additionally, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we should also never give or serve simply to gain God's favor, nor should we give out of guilt. Doing so makes us no more than goats pretending to be sheep. But Jesus has a really good goat detector. So giving or serving out of a sense of obligation doesn't help us when it comes to our salvation. He can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat, and a goat who's pretending to be a sheep. By the way, while Jesus has a really good goat detector, it's important to know that we don't. Only Jesus truly knows a person's heart and understands their life circumstances. So we need to leave the judging to him. He doesn't need our help, and we need to be loving people, not judging them. Now, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and your King, but you still don't feel it within your heart to give or serve sacrificially, take heart for a moment. Oftentimes, forcing ourselves to give and serve, even when we don't feel like it and like doing it, like giving or serving, it can help change our hearts and turn us into a cheerful giver and server. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and Luke chapter 12, verse 34, both state, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we often hear this verse as an indication that we spend our money on the things that we love. But it is really saying just the opposite. It says that we will come to love the things that we spend our money on. The same is true for the things we spend our time on. So we might have to fake it till we make it initially by treating, giving, and serving as a spiritual discipline. But once we finally decide to give our whole heart to God, giving of our time and our talent and our treasure simply becomes a part of who we are. Now along those lines, there are numerous opportunities to serve at faith each and every week. Even as we shift to an electronic format, we still need people to serve in the areas of Sunday morning worship, youth ministries, prayer and care ministries, weekly devotions, and small group facilitators. We also coordinate with our local ministry partners at SOAR and Midwest Food Bank, Spark International Missions, Home Sweet Home, and the Baby Fold to make Christ known in the world and show his love and kindness to others in need. A number of these programs literally follow Christ's call to feed the hungry, and there's an immediate need for people to assist with our backpack food program for junior high students. If you're looking for opportunities to serve and don't know where to begin, please reach out to Debbie at serving at myfaithlcmc.org. She coordinates all of our volunteer ministries. This coming Thursday marks our national Thanksgiving holiday, and next Sunday kicks off the season of Advent. So it's a time to reflect on all of the blessings that Lord has provided to us and make preparations for the birth of our Savior and King. In spite of all the challenges that this year has presented, we still have much to be thankful for. So as we give thanks to God and prepare for Christ's coming, let us thank Him each and every day by showing love and kindness to everyone we meet. Because when we show love and kindness to others, 
to the least of these, we show them to Jesus himself. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our King, we thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally and never leaves our side. We thank you for the salvation you provide for us and the grace and forgiveness you continue to show us each and every day. Please forgive us, Lord, for the opportunities we have missed to show your love and kindness to strangers and even to our own family and friends. Please forgive us for the times we've been stingy instead of generous, for being selfish instead of loving and caring, and for trying to rule our own lives. Help us, Lord, to love you and serve you with our whole hearts by loving and serving others. Help us to offer with joy and thanksgiving the things that you have first given to us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, all signs of your gracious love. We pray that you will provide your healing and support to those who are struggling in any way, especially those who are ill or who are grieving or mourning the loss of loved ones. We pray, Lord, that you will help us stay connected with you and to others and continue to serve and give generously so that the world can come to know you and love you as we do, as our Lord and as our King. Help us to honor and glorify you, Lord, in all that we say and do. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and blessings on your week.